surfs up at Gotham Point. That's right, Joker. And challenging you to the surfing title. Through my latest invention, the surfing experience and ability transferometer, all your surfing know-how will be drained out of you and transferred to me. Some joker drained everything I know about surfing and all my ability with a gizmo called a surfing experience and ability transferometer. What here supposes up, Buzzy? The surf, Duke. So, welcome back to another episode of Surf Kings of Gotham. I'm your host, Kyle. And I'm Brady. Your other host. So today we're discussing episode three of season one, Fine Feathered Finks. This originally aired uh, January 19th, 1966 on ABC of all places. They haven't had good programming since. So this one was directed by Robert Butler and written by Lorenzo Simple Jr., and you can absolutely tell it's a Lorenzo Simple Jr. episode, too. Even just three episodes in. Well, they've all been his episodes, haven't they? Yeah, so it's, it's so easy I, to tell. Yeah, because <laughs> we have nothing to compare it to. Right, exactly. This is actually <laughs> Burgess Meredith's first appearance as the Penguin. Burgess Meredith being the man who later trained Rocky. Yes, and also uh, led Cobra Law to uh, steal the broadcast energy transmitter from G.I. Joe. So really, it was just from strength to strength from this show onward. He was so fantastic. He really was. I love how I love the Penguin just as a villain, because you have Batman, who even though in, in the TV show, he's just an out of shape dumb guy. But in general, Batman is like this super dangerous assassin guy who just chooses not to kill you and instead beat you into a coma. But his villain in this episode is the Penguin, who's basically rich Uncle Pennybags from Monopoly. Right. And I just looked, uh, again, prior to recording this. So uh, Burgess Meredith was born in 1907. So he would have been like 59 years old, I guess. Jesus. when uh, taking In 1966 years. Yeah. He looks fantastic for and for a fifty nine year old out man. Seventy five, so they would have filmed it in seventy four, or seventy six. Either way, seventy five ish. Good God, the next ten years were difficult for Burgess Meredith. He's he's a fantastic human being. He goes from looking pretty good in this to crusty old Mickey by Rocky. It's a pretty quick turnover. Yeah, no, he was fantastic. And then of course, uh, in Grumpy Old Men, much later. Uh, what a fantastic character he was in that as the as the old man's older dad, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Grumpy Old Man was also excellent. Yeah, he was fantastic. I love that Wikipedia describes the Penguin as the pompous, well, this is actually, I think, how Commissioner Gordon describes him, the pompous, waddling master of foul play. So he's literally <laughs> described as being waddling, and he's Batman's enemy. <laughs> fantastic. So Fine Feathered Finks, the... Uh, so the episode opens uh, with the, uh, again, the narrator saying, just before nine in Gotham City, in front of a picture of a city. Again, nice painted background there as people are hustling to and fro. Yeah, to the establish stock footage. stock footage is on point in this show. They cut to the outside of a jewelry store. A van pulls up and obvious criminals, hired goons, if you will, hop out 
put up a sign announcing free umbrellas and just the crowd just the crowd just goes nuts like it's a crowd outside of an upscale jewelry store and they are really excited about free umbrellas gothamites will ignore any amount of sketchy behavior for a free umbrella some guys pop out of a unmarked van dressed all in black with bowler hats and one of them is clearly skeleton nags and they begin to pass out umbrellas and people are just crazy about it and the creepy jeweler inside is like oh this is wonderful jeeves the umbrellas will drive our sails for the day i don't know how but they're going to drive our sails for the day they get very excited and the people once they get umbrellas in their hands they're just you see them like banging on the doors with their umbrellas like yes with open their umbrellas open up oh so um, um i was looking over my notes here it says that a drawing for prizes will be held at nine o'clock so apparently you have to carry your umbrella inside so there is somewhat of a reason to this although the people you would think people lined up outside of a jeweler and none of them are there to pawn anything like they're all pretty up and up you would think they wouldn't yeah. be that excited by a free prize or a free umbrella, but they're pounding on the windows with those umbrellas. No, absolutely. That is, uh, they're yeah, very, very excited with their free umbrellas. My favorite, I put my next note, the proprietor of the, the jewelry store. He reminds me of the, the creepy neighbor from the Flintstones, Greebly or whatever his name was. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I just watched that episode recently. It was like the, it was like the parody of the Adams family. They had, gomez and morticia but they were like cavemen gomez and morticia yeah he really does like and like vincent pricey almost yeah no it was very jeweler looks like the guy you would expect batman to fight after he kills like 17 people yeah and he's just his line is i smell a hoax jenkins devilish sinister and yeah he plays it very well for a jewelry store proprietor for sure and the devilish sinister hoax is this that the umbrellas pop open and start to like rain like potpourri and and little bits of paper everywhere and make make little mild fireworks and they go absolutely insane the jeweler runs outside yelling for the police because again this is going to be another episode like the first two where no one has actually committed a crime and yet the gotham city police department gives up immediately well and on that note so they uh, cut to Commissioner Gordon's office. Again, the, the regular suspects are around. But I, I wrote down here, Chief O'Hara recognizes the work of the Penguin. Like he, and he's confident in the work of the Penguin. So I don't know if he's just more confident in this episode or he's getting smarter. But uh, nice work, Chief. I think it was that he realized it was the Penguin because he's he's dealt with this before since the Penguin's thing is umbrellas. And he's confident because he's like, Batman will take care of this. I'll take the rest of the day off. Well, first, Commissioner Gordon asks for volunteers. Aren't they paid? Why did they have to volunteer? That doesn't make any sense to me. They're, yeah. they're professional police officers. Who wants to volunteer to tackle the penguin? I'm pretty sure you're their boss and can just say, you do it. Yeah, but he wants to know if anyone is smart enough to net the penguin. Anyone? Bueller? And just everyone again. They all duck their heads in so. shame because I know they're not smart enough. And again, there's but one man alive who can throw the net over that cagey bird. And then they cut to the red telephone, and you're like, oh, Commissioner Gordon's going to launch a nuclear strike on the penguin. Oh, no, wait, it's the Batman phone. Okay, got it, got it. I'm on the same well, page now. And I'm glad to have Chief O'Hara back to normal, because his confidence lasted apparent, approximately one beat. And then he was just <laughs> back to, like, hanging his head in shame. 
but at least Commissioner Gordon admires his honesty because there's yes. nothing, he's nothing if not honest about his inability to be intelligent. I appreciate that you admit to the fact and are honest about how you're not qualified to hold this job, protecting the public from criminals. So they pick up the phone uh, again. Now, what I noticed here, it's just on his desk next to the regular phone, right? In, in Batman's study or in Bruce Wayne's study. How does Aunt Harriet never walk by and see that thing sitting there and you know, pick it up, maybe start talking to whoever's on the other end. What if there was a crazy love triangle with her and the commissioner just because she happened to pick up the phone one day? I love that headcanon. Um, but I really think that she just doesn't give a shit because she gets to do whatever she wants and like lay around naked and sunbathe on the balcony of Wayne Manor and doesn't have to work or anything. So I think she's like, oh, Bruce has a secret phone. It's probably one of his child sex traffickers. It's fine. <laughs> that's, that's true. So Bruce and Dick are then sitting around in the living room and uh, Dick is struggling to learn French. And this is one of my favorite bits so far in the series is Dick throws a tantrum and he's like, ah, oh, heck, what's the use of learning French anyway? And Bruce says, I'm surprised at you, Dick. Perhaps if everyone was studying a language, we could end the scourge of war. Yes. Why on earth would you ever jump to that conclusion? This was made in 1966, which was pretty tense Cold War period. I'm pretty sure both Americans and Russians spoke each other's languages, and yet there was still a Cold War. Yeah, but maybe because they weren't speaking French, which is the language of love. True. In the language it, of yes. immediately surrendering. <laughs> she's eating surrender monkeys indeed the whole thing um, would have gone a lot better if one of them knew how to say i give up my favorite is his rage at the verbs just not like i'll never get this but he actually he he had the verbs right when he was conjugating the french verbs he, he didn't get them wrong so his his rage was was unfounded but he jumps up and you know in typical dick grayson fashion just punches the air and doesn't understand I think um, it's just but, that Burt Ward doesn't know how to play anything that's not like ready to just explode into a rage. And maybe he had some sort of horrible personal problems and that's why they cast him. They were like, oh, you'll go, you'll be a good dynamic with Batman who's really laid back in this show. But like everything sets him off. Oh, heck with it. What's the point of learning this? You were doing fine. But what problem was he was forced to learn. <laughs> That's true. But after that mild pep talk about ending the scourge of war, uh, he commits to getting those darn verbs, even if it kills him. Right. And then Alfred Runt walks in and is like, oh, sir, there's been a call. Apparently, someone what, drove past a speed limit sign and the police immediately gave up. Like, he doesn't even know it's about <laughs> the penguin. He's just getting Bruce to come to the right. phone to handle whatever it is the police don't feel like dealing with that day. And then Aunt Harriet comes in. I, do you think she ever wonders? Because again, another fishing trip because the bass are biting in the pond. Right. right. I love when she walked in and Dick is like running out of the room because he's eager to go bash someone's head in. And he starts to wrestle with her to get her out of the way. Like they grab each other's arms and she's clearly terrified because she knows her nephew is unstable. But Dick is like, move old woman. And like shaking her <laughs> before Bruce is like, oh, Aunt Harriet, we're going on a fishing trip and he raises his eyebrows as if to tell her i don't mean fishing well because his, his line is you know how your nephew is about fishing right and raises There's his a, eyebrows an ominous pause there was an on an ominous pause before fishing he just clearly he, communicates to her 
this is all a charade for pedophilia or like his like wild vengeance fantasies like slaughtering homeless people in gotham park or something <laughs> it's like i wonder she says to alfred oh i wonder where they got the tip about the fish from and alfred who in the tv show actually bothers to cover for bruce more often than not in the movies he's like come on down to the bat cave and i'll show you but in this version <laughs> he's like oh i'd better come up with a half-assed cover uh, oh i told them about the bass and then she's yeah. just fine with it okay how gina i'm in there bye do you find do you find bass in a in a pond? I feel like that's like an ocean fish, but yeah, I don't think I don't they have bass in ponds. I don't know that. I don't actually go fishing because it's 2022 and I'm not in Mayberry, but I feel <laughs> like it's not a thing that's in ponds. That's more of like a, a river fish. That's fair. Uh the typical uh to the bat poles sliding down, opening starts. Okay, so the one sentence Wikipedia summary for these two episodes episode three and four episode three fine feathered finks and episode four the penguins a jinx says the penguin plots to manipulate batman into inadvertently devising capers for him and that sounds confusing just reading those words in a row but it gets even more confusing when penguin actually explains it later <laughs> but it's a genius crime really if you think about it Using... oh it totally is but it's the kind of crime you would come up with after you've spent a long time in prison just staring at the wall and being raped in the in like the in the exercise yard i mean it's it's great but nobody would ever arrive at that conclusion outside of lorenzo simple who probably wasn't in prison and being raped probably probably i mean he might have been it might have been like he was a political prisoner i don't know it was i could research that but much like robin learning hurts me (laughs) we'll just punch the air and make up our own conclusions then yes exactly exactly it's the internet um I love on my streamer, because I'm using Tubi to watch these episodes, I love that uh, it gives me the option to skip the intro. Why would you ever skip the Batman intro? I don't know. When I was a kid, I used to try to hold my breath for the entire intro. That was my goal, to see if I could hold my breath for the entire introduction to the Batman show. What was the goal there? I don't know. I have no idea, other than maybe... Entering the junior breath-holding Olympics someday, I'm not really sure. But Had it been a moment longer, I would have blacked out. Yeah, I don't really have a reason for it. It was just a little bit of odd trivia I wanted to throw in the mix. Cool, cool. Okay, so Batman and Robin jump off the bat poles as unathletically as possible. And Penguin is a big enough threat that in the first two episodes, when they ran off to deal with the Riddler, Robin had a whole speech about atomic batteries to power, turbines to speed. Like, he has a whole speech. They just fly out of the Batmobile in this episode. There's no time yeah. to waste with that shit. No, there's absolutely no time because the Penguin uh, a is obviously man up to something. has some has some umbrellas. We got to go. Right. So when they get to the commissioner's office, they're trying to figure out what's going on. There's a setup, but no crime. The old one-two punch, you know. And Robin is violently punching the air. <laughs> violently again. punches the air, and it concerns Commissioner Gordon. <laughs> he gives <laughs> Robin this look like, oh no. We made a hideous mistake. At the start of that scene, there's a part where Batman's like looking at a globe. There's a, there's a giant globe in Commissioner's garden, Commissioner Gordon's garden, Commissioner Gordon's office for no reason. And Batman's like just pushing at it and kind of looking at it while he thinks about what the penguin could be up to with his randomly exploding umbrellas that didn't actually cause any crimes. I was so hoping he was going to put his hand down on it and fly off like Peter Sellers in the Pink Panther. <laughs> 
And then try to be <laughs> cool was... about it. Like just a just a alertness exercise for everyone. We all passed. And then and then Chief O'Hara would have been like, sure, and we didn't, Batman. He probably actually did that, but they cut it from the episode. Yes. Adam, if you could not put your hand on the revolving globe, that would be excellent. So, so Batman even points out there was no holdup at, at the jewelers. And like they're all like, yes, there was no crime committed. And yet here we are, 20 cops standing in an office with Batman and Robin trying to figure this out. There's nothing to figure yeah. out. Well, maybe it was just a joke. Maybe he's actually reformed. That's the that's a theory that's bandied about. They come in for no reason, though. I love that. Like the police officers gave up over nothing, and I just can't. I can't under under emphasize the scene with Robin and his one two punch. So he says, <laughs> "It's a one two punch," and Commissioner Gordon's like, "What the hell are you talking about?" So he violently punches the air while staring <laughs> right at Commissioner Gordon and says, one, the, the penguin does something, two, it leads us to do something else. And Commissioner Gordon and Chief O'Hara both look at him with concern. Uh, yeah. like, Chief O'Hara is like stroking his chin like, oh no. <laughs> that was my favorite part of this episode. Uh, and Batman's like, yeah. calm down, chum. When we get back home, we'll give you your pills. And Robin <laughs> keeps staring at them, like, test me. Let's go. <laughs> it is a fine performance, for sure. The whole thing's great. Like, there's a whole <laughs> beat where Commissioner Gordon is just staring at him, and, and Chief O'Hara is <laughs> making a point to not stare at him and looking at his shoes. Like, what the hell did we just see? Commissioner Gordon, or Chief O'Hara's face is great. He's like, oh, oh. This is troubling. So since they're confused by what the penguin could possibly be planning, uh, they determine they need to get into his mind at the time he was released from prison. So maybe if we could talk to the warden, uh, that, would, that would give us some insight into his state of mind. And conveniently, Commissioner Gordon has already had the warden flown to the police headquarters via helicopter at taxpayers. Uh, excuse me, it was helicopter. Helicopter, yes, yeah. helicopter. He says the word helicopter. <laughs> That's my favorite too. Uh, rushed in by helicopter. Warden Crichton is such a great character, and I hope he comes back up more. Like in the first episode, they introduce all these random cops and authority figures, and then just kind of drop them. Like in the first episode, when they're trying to figure out riddles, Riddler's riddles, they have a guy there named Inspector Bash. He's never seen again, I don't think. But Warden well, that's Crichton, a classic name. Yeah. Inspector Bash, though, didn't bring much to the table, but Warden Crichton, I want him to be just like a regular character who comes in every time one of Batman's villains breaks out of jail and tells everyone how he failed again. I loved it. But Batman has long been a fan of war the Warden and all of the criminals he's reformed. And his penology, which I didn't know that what was referring to his... <laughs> Is that a word? I didn't, right, yeah. I, I don't didn't know. know how well that meant how well he was, he was running his jail. I thought he was making a different comment entirely. Well, and that's why we make an excellent team, because you provide the educated knowledge, and I just sit here and giggle about things like helicopter and penology. So I feel <laughs> like uh, the recipe for successity. <laughs> <laughs> but I love how, and I mentioned this like on the first episode or second episode, because people are going to go back and make meticulous notes of when I said what. Um, I love how at this time 
in pop culture, there was a tendency to hit both sides. Like now everything is like, oh, we only hit the left or we only hit the right. But like Batman is like Mad Magazine in that they hit both. Robin is an insane little fascist and we should absolutely point and laugh at him, but also keep our distance. And then Warden Crichton, he like comes in and starts talking about his progressive policies at the jail. And you're going to find out that they fail completely. And the, and the joke is that everyone here is a failure. Everyone, no matter what they That's believe. True. But thankfully for the plot of this episode, one of his progressive policies he's put in place is to put a soon-to-be-released criminal back in their old clothes, uh, including masks in, yes. the, uh, in the hired goon category, and put them in a cell and videotape them. And to, videotape uh, them. Like he's Chuck Berry. So uh, in this case, we get to watch it because thankfully the warden brought this tape with him and dropped it off at the communication center on his way upstairs uh, after his helicopter trip. So he is, this video is ready to go on closed circuit television. The warden Crichton and Robin are, are, have animosity almost immediately. Like the tape, the video comes on, like the wall opens up and Commissioner Gordon's modern day television comes out of the comes out of the wall like 50 years ago and robin's like holy haberdashery because he sees penguin dress up in his street clothes and then yeah. warden Crichton's like just one of my many progressive policies boy wonder i believe in letting people wear their own clothes while i film them and that was that that was i noted that as well because that was so funny because robin and i wrote down he reminds me like if he wasn't back in the 60s punching the air like nowadays, he would be just sharing memes of Clint Eastwood's face talking about the way it used to be or the way it should be. Robin but would be here, an angry little troll who stole, val stole valor from actual soldiers today. He'd be like, <laughs> yeah, he's when just, I was in Vietnam 15 years before my birth. Yeah, he was just punching the air, uh, complaining about how criminals get to wear non-prison issue clothing in their last week being in there. So he's angry about that. I love too, though, that they gave the penguin his his street clothing, which is ridiculous. But then they also gave him his cigar and his <laughs> and his umbrella. Like they gave him and his monocle. They gave him everything back. He's just walking around in a jail that's like four feet by four feet, but totally dressed like the penguin. <laughs> yeah. So one of the theories that they threw out was that he's that he's reformed because he went to prison, he served his debt, so he's probably reformed. Uh, watching the video, which obviously they they didn't watch, uh, or the warden hadn't watched before. Yes, uh, the warden letting them have that. This. Yeah, because yeah, I think he's I'm good at reforming criminals, and then cut to the videotape where he is immediately. Ah, I've been in here this whole time and I haven't planned a crime. And he we, says, "What can we do?" I've got to come up with a caper that'll cause the Cape Crusader to blow his brains out. <laughs> <laughs> you know how reformed people do. <laughs> I'm going to drive a man to suicide because I'm reformed. Uh, now, they can't keep him for conspiracy because they didn't watch this tape. So they might have been able to hang on to him for planning a new crime uh, had they watched this tape before now. Which is kind of Robin's theory on the process, too. He's just, why did we have to let him out? And they, like, right. stop. And, like, I'll Robin's handle like, this. Why couldn't we have just executed him? <laughs> well, he didn't do anything when, like, knock over a gas station. I don't think we have to go quite that far. 
Uh, and it looks like the warden's about to say something, but then Gordon cuts him off. He's like, I'll handle this one. Robin, you fool. Once people have paid their debt to society, we have to let them go. Yeah, Robin's like going off about his fascist fantasy with like minority report ability to tell someone's going to do something before they do it and executing them ahead of time. And he's like rubbing his fists together and salivating. And he's like, it'd be so great. And then we could have armies marching in the street and people could salute. <laughs> and I could have a little mustache. And it would be excellent. And everyone's if people like, disagree with us, we'll kill them. Right. And everyone's like, God Almighty. And then Commissioner Gordon <laughs> says, Boy, I wonder, we have laws for the very fact of keeping people like you in line. <laughs> keeping us safe from you. So uh, at the conclusion of the tape, uh, Batman feels it's safe to disregard his theory that he may have been reformed. I love, though, when, when Warden Crichton is, like, shamed about it. And he says... I don't know where my progressive policies could have gone wrong. And Robin takes us this opportunity to sass mouth him. And he's like, I don't know where they couldn't have gone wrong, old man. And Gordon <laughs> Crichton spins around in his chair like he's going to smack him. It was excellent. Uh, uh, yes. So uh, Chief O'Hara announces he's going to, uh, they're going to put out a four points bulletin. Uh, not an all points bulletin like we'd be used to from other TV shows. So they must be saving some points. They're not going to. We're just going to cover the main streets. We're not going to use the helicopter on this one. No helicopters, no. So they determine then he's going to be planning something and it's going to be obviously umbrella, umbrella based. So he has, Batman has Commissioner Gordon send for the city records to see if anyone in the last three days has opened an umbrella factory. And amazingly, three separate people have. <laughs> I know, I, my notes say fucking three of them. Uh, in a rare instance of my my notes having to swear, I couldn't uh, I couldn't like, believe it. Gotham's <laughs> Gotham's economy is beyond thriving, like, booming. Three <laughs> umbrella factories in the last three days, but alas, it's a dead end because none of them are listed as being owned by the Penguin. Yeah, he didn't put his name, the Penguin, on a title. I'm amazed. So they come up with the but, idea of maybe we should look for pseudonyms or something that would indicate it was the penguin. And immediately Robin's like, KG Bird, get it? KG Bird. Yeah, I'm yes. amazed with three of them. You didn't get it before that point. Well, not only that, first it was, I'm not going to read these names. I'm only going to look for the penguin. Then yes. Robin, in his genius <laughs> riddle solving ways, well, what if he used an alias? Good thinking, Robin. Let's check the names again to see if one could be an alias. How long were they sitting there at the commissioner's desk just going over the three different titles and not getting that? <laughs> but of course, Mr. K.G. Bird. K.G. Bird. Get it? Like Guy Incognito. And it's not even spelled with a Y or anything. It's B-I-R-D. Well, they didn't want to stump him too bad. He's not the Riddler, after all. <laughs> they never get you with a verb with a Y. This would never have worked. That's right. And they don't want to infringe on the uh, Riddler gimmick either. And when they get to Lest he the... sue him. Because he's lawsuit happy, we've, we've established. Yeah. The Riddler would sue him for stealing his riddling gimmick. That's how the Riddler eats. Is he, he just sues people. <laughs> so then they cut to the KG Bird & Co. building. And like the sign outside of the haberdashery that Penguin has opened up in the last three days. And it's not a bad sign. Like it, it clearly communicates this is the penguin's hideout but it looks better than things i've seen actual companies use but it's not the penguin's hideout 
because no one would think of using an alias. Right, exactly. That was just a that was just a revelation that Robin had. <laughs> Nobody would ever have gone for that otherwise. That's why they're counting on Batman and Robin to plan their crime for them because they're so smart. But I like when they cut to the inside of the factory that clearly they're running an umbrella factory. Like they have material and like the skeleton for umbrellas. Penguin's even gone so far as to put up a little clock with an igloo that a penguin comes out of to tell the time. Like Penguin put a lot clock. of effort for this slap together hideout. I want that clock. I wrote that in my notes. I want that penguin clock. It is fantastic. It's pretty it pushes great. a button. The penguin comes out and just says that the honk the time will be this and you're just like you could sell that if it was if this was a show that was on the air today that'd be something you'd see on like a facebook carousel ad would be the clock from the one particular specific episode of batman i bet now that we've talked about it that will probably show up in our ads yes that exact clock and it'll be like why how why exactly and the reason will be because much like warden crichton Facebook is watching us through a camera. <laughs> That's right. And much like that same camera, it's got lots of different angles and can be zoomed in and <laughs> everything as well with no one watching it because no one had watched that video. We've already established that. And Mark Zuckerberg is letting you wear your street clothes. Well, it's good that we don't have to wear our Facebook issued clothing <laughs> every week of the year. Which I imagine would be like the Penguins goons clothing are most of the Batman goons clothing <laughs> and say their name across the front. That's right. But like like the Facebook generated ads where they uh, make it like a, a t-shirt that's trying to be cool with your name on it. Right, yeah. Like it, yeah. It's a Brady thing. You wouldn't understand. Exactly. Whatever. Yeah, we have your <laughs> private information. Have a t-shirt. I uh, love though how precious the Batman goons are. Like it's not just Penguin. They all have like little color coordinated outfits for their goons who are usually old men and they all have like their names embroidered across the front. Like my niece makes t-shirts as a little side business thing. That takes some doing. Like she has to actually run that shit. So this wasn't just a thing where they were like, ah, oh, I take five minutes. In 1966, it probably took a day or two. Like they they put some thought and some, and some care into this. I wonder if it's the same guy that does the label making. Like yes. whoever that guy is in the 1966 Batman universe is probably rich. If they're doing all like the screen printing of like villain costumes and like lackey costumes. It would be great if that was Bruce Wayne's him. job. Like that's he that's what Wayne Enterprises does is they make labels <laughs> for everything. That would make a lot more sense than whatever vague thing it is that Wayne Enterprises is supposed to actually do. Doctor with law books. Yes. A doctor with established law books. <laughs> In the previous episode. So back to this episode. Um, this is where it's revealed that the penguin doesn't have a crime planned. He is going to trick Batman into planning a crime for him based on the evidence that he is going to leave behind that isn't actually evidence at all, which is it almost seems like a meta commentary on what yeah, that's what I thought. So I watched this and was like, these first two episodes, first two stories are really meta. Like you would think when it was just starting out, especially for 1966, it would have been more straightforward. Like, it would still be a comedy, but more straightforward. Not the Riddler sues Batman, followed by Penguin has, tricks Batman into planning a crime for him. They're very meta plots. Making them 
Partners in Plunder. Partners in Plunder. Yeah. And then they're driving down the road in the Batmobile. And it's not like a country road or like a back road like it was in the first episode when they were trying to find Jill St. John's Molly character. Um, or Batman was trying to find Robin, who was actually disguised. I've lost track of what the hell I'm saying. Anyway, they're in the middle of a main a main street in a crowded city, and Batman lets go with the bat lever, it's pronounced, and like does one of his parachute turns in the middle of a busy street. But but so janky. He's like, hold tight, bat turn, pulls the lever, the parachutes deploy, then cut to top-down view of the Batmobile doing a complete 360 just like on a lazy susan or something and adam west and burt ward just kind of leaning over <laughs> that was my favorite part adam west at least grimaces but burt ward's like Wee! we're gonna kill a pedestrian <laughs> yeah, spin spin the merry-go-round and away you go they probably committed um, a crime though so it's fine robin's a fashion well, and we should note uh, the reason for the hold tight bat turn uh, is they get a call on the bat phone, not a recording from the Riddler this time, but a call that someone's given away a bunch of umbrellas at Gotham City Bank. So you know what that means. Yeah. And there's a black couple. Oh, no, I didn't notice that. Yeah, they're in the corner. I was amazed. I was like, oh, is it? In- OK, all right, good. I'm surprised they didn't get arrested. Right, exactly. They're in the like the main Gotham Bank in 1966. So Batman and Robin pull up to the bank and again, there's like security or doormen or uniformed people to like open and close the doors for them, like valet parking outside the bank, which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah, as opposed to most banks where they're like, hey, you want to put your money in here, you come in yourself, commoner. Well, yeah, I just especially because it's the Batmobile that pulled up. It was uh, it's just always odd to see someone helping the uh, helping the dynamic duo Uh, get in and out of their car especially after they just did a 360 turn in the street (laughs) so batman and robin come into the bank assure everyone it's okay remain calm uh we're gonna put all of your umbrellas into this uh empty basket here and then cover it with an asbestos pad yeah because the front the umbrellas up the first at the jewelry store blew up but this asbestos pad will be safe Unless they're worried about, uh, I guess there was no dangers of mesothelioma back in uh, in 1966. I don't Asbestos think it had been invented still... yet. Right. But that's a good time to stop and note. Uh, today's episode is brought to us by the law firm of Stevenson Nesbitt McGee. Uh, they don't handle mesothelioma cases, but they are arranging a class action lawsuit uh, for people who feel like they've been overcharged for soup at... Uh, at uh, Japanese restaurants. Uh, so they are organizing a mesothelioma class action lawsuit. And once again, we thank the fine folks at Stevenson Nesbitt McGee for sponsoring the podcast. Beautiful. So uh, when covered with the uh, asbestos pad, uh, there is some colorful gas and explosion type action happening underneath there. Uh, but again, strange. There's no gangsters heading for the door. Uh, which was odd. I didn't notice the black people, so I would have maybe said something if I if I had seen that. But <laughs> Batman and Robin obviously didn't see them either. <laughs> they probably or else Robin would have been uh, on it. <laughs> yeah, he would have. He would. But I, Batman would have German calm him down. They haven't committed a crime, Robin. You're profiling again. <laughs> Classic Robin. Bang! 
so then back to the uh, the penguin layer with the secret elevator to the umbrella shop. Oh, I forgot to mention the carrier pigeon, the communication station uh, in brackets, carrier pigeons, yeah. uh, which they, they have, have a, an pigeons. indoor. Yeah, to, to coordinate all this, they're using carrier pigeons as opposed to just a phone. That's correct. So uh, they received a message that the, the, that the bank heist went according to plans. So he's going to send his henchmen in the secret elevator to the umbrella shop to relieve Sparrow. Uh, which, again, so the henchmen are doing shifts in the umbrella shop, like normal, uh, and then also doing, like, henching things. I wonder if they're, are they paid differently, do you think? Is there a, do they have a contract? Do they do I don't know, minimum wage for working. working? I'm pretty sure Penguin is using them as exploited labor, because they're not, they're not really gaining from this. Like, they, they think they're just goons. But he's making them run a store. And also getting attacked by carrier pigeons. When he reaches in to get that message, like he's like violently attacked by a carrier pigeon. So that's like some kind of hazard pay, I would imagine. I'm sure he's going to the union rep about that. Yes, exactly. They formed a union in the last three days since they opened up the, the umbrella store too. After they realized that Ping was going to make them actually run the umbrella store. So Batman so, and Robin speed up to KG Bird and Co. and awkwardly hop out of the car. And I noticed that it's not Burt Ward and Adam West getting out of the car. Getting out of the car is dangerous. That that task was handled by their stunt doubles, Hubie Kearns, who was Batman, and Victor Paul, who was Robin, who are both taller, significantly older, and look no, in no way like Batman and Robin outside of both are people. I'm gonna have to go back and watch that. I never noticed that. I've never I've never looked. Adam may have been Adam, but. When Robin gets out of the car, it's clearly Victor Paul. And I don't understand why, because he just gets out of the car like you would get out of a car. Like he doesn't, he doesn't do like a <laughs> normal Robin spastic flail out of the car. He just opens the door and stands up like a normal human being. And it's Victor Paul. Maybe that's why. Maybe he could only get out of the car like a spaz. And this shot really required someone to, to get out calmly. No one ever taught Bert how to just open a car door. <laughs> so they had to have the stunt double come in and do it. Uh, yeah. So they go in and confront the penguin or Mr. KG Bird. Um, and tell him he's, they're going to arrest him. They have enough to keep him on for the uh, umbrella fiasco at both the bank and the jewelry store. Yeah, they're going to arrest him for not committing a crime and penguin calls them on this he's like for what what do you arrest me for and they got nothing i only make the exploding umbrellas you can't arrest me for that what somebody does with them after i make them uh it's not my concern i'm not responsible for that penguin gives the excuse of automatic weapon manufacturers i didn't shoot it yeah guns don't kill people i just build people it do. it's fine now, I have a very busy store here. If you're not going to buy any umbrellas, <laughs> get out. Otherwise, uh, I'll have my, my assistant, Hawkeye, who's just an old man in the mask, show you around. And Batman's like, That's, you've outsmarted us this time, Penguin. But don't get too confident. <laughs> he didn't outsmart so, you. He just didn't do anything. <laughs> that was smart. Batman says, so, Batman's like, we know you're up to some super crime. And we're gonna watch you, and then they just leave. And he sends word upstairs to the rooftop umbrella launcher to uh, set the plan in action. They had three days in setting up this company to build a rooftop giant umbrella launcher which that's I big enough is... to shake the entire damn building. 
It sends yes, out like a giant, huge umbrella into the middle of a busy street, killing untold thousands of pedestrians. <laughs> and it was a legit giant umbrella. It was pretty fantastic. That was like what twenty feet high or something. It was yeah, it's big, like more. it's as big as the building. And a taxi cab crashes into some trash cans. So they better warn the bystanders. So as Batman and Robin pull up, Robin stands up in the Batmobile with a with a bat megaphone. And for about the last six feet of driving, stay back, everyone. It could possibly explode. And the same black couple is also in frame during this. They were the they were the um, only people hired for this episode of the show. Everyone else in Gotham is Lily White, the way that Robin likes it. <laughs> uh, so Batman bets his life that this could be a clue. He bets his life, a... and then he tells Robin, he says, run around the side of a giant umbrella. <laughs> run around the side of the huge umbrella. <laughs> you steady it. I'll use the bat rope to climb it. Yeah, he's going to climb is... something again. That's always awkward. I wrote best sequence ever because he's, again, the spastic flailing of his arms to like, climb up to the to be on the side of the umbrella and then the standard sideways camera hunched over walk to climb the umbrella to retrieve the small umbrella attached to the handle of the giant umbrella in my notes i have i love that batman is throwing a boomerang but he throws it with two arms (laughs) like he hurls it with two arms and then he climbs up and it's always glorious when batman climbs a rope in this show because no no one climbs a rope like that. Like he pulls with his arms and just sort of kicks his leg out like a terrified turtle. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. And he's clearly terrified the entire time he's scaling up the side of this umbrella to get the smaller umbrella with the clue on it. Well, and it's not like an umbrella like made of lead or something. Like it's a it's a floppy umbrella. Like it would have you think it would have been much easier to it's just like, a like cheap tourist umbrella. You think just, you just could have knocked it down with the battery? Just tip it over. Just like. You go on the other side and you push it this way, and we'll. Yeah. Uh, they we'll never just, think we'll just of just put it on its it side and grabbing it. But I guess that would rob us of the glorious climbing sequence. So good yes. for them. So then they speed back to the Batmobile, whipping in and out of two lanes of the highway. Batman doesn't care if you die when you leave your home. No, that fourteen-mile stretch from from Gotham to the Batcave is uh, that's Batman's killing time. You don't want to interfere with that. Yes. And they get to the Batcave and Alfred's on top of the giant nuclear pile that Jill St. John fell into in episode two, like with a vacuum cleaner. I yeah, he's cleaning he's up the molly. Up ashes. Yeah, absolutely. It says, the um, sign says, keep off atomic pile, super high, high voltage. <laughs> but don't worry, because I've, em- I've got the emergency lockout on. Uh, with the flashing green emergency lockout sign also important to notice i love that they like had to cover that because apparently they were still thinking of the previous episode later on in the series they stopped being aware of anything and it just becomes this insane little universe into itself here there's still continuity so they're like oh well the viewer saw someone fall into batman's personal atomic pile on the last episode we better have some sort of safety feature up there that would have been a great gag had though every episode of the show who will fall into batman's atomic pile this time that would be great and that's what they do with all the way to get you up there so you can fall into it what they need to do they should have all these gadgets because it just becomes something in the background you know moving forward like you said but what they should have is like a fish tank or something so they can at least bring back some fish once in a while 
to keep Aunt Harriet off the trail. Right, exactly. Then they could have had some, they could have had fish that weren't bass and, and showed it to her and been like, look at this giant fish that your nephew caught. And she could have been like, oh, isn't that a goldfish, Bruce? And Bruce could have been like, sure is. And raise his eyebrow <laughs> at her. And she could be like, I don't know what's happening, but I'm here to dial down the gay. <laughs> exactly. So they begin to study this um, this uh, KG Bird & Co. bat brella that, uh, that they brought back with them. By so, study, you mean put in front of a screen with flashing lights. That's right. So Robin's going to look for secret writing on on the material with and binoculars. Robin is taken and and Batman has taken one of the ribs so they're going to look for uh, secret writing but again Riddler will sue Penguin for that so that's not going to happen when I first watched this scene because of the way the camera is angled I thought the camera is at, tilted at a slight Dutch angle and then it starts to move in on Batman as he's speaking but the effect of that made it look like the Batmobile was moving like they had left it in neutral and it was just slowly rolling across the bat cave. And I hope that was happening, but unfortunately it probably it did. Oh no, so, it was. It was spinning. I'm I'm looking at it now on replay. It was spinning for some reason. That's how they turn it around, because they drive in forwards and then it turns around on another emergency bat turn lazy Susan type. You know, that makes sense. To... But I never thought of that because I'm real stupid. So I just thought they spent like 20 minutes backing out of the bat cave like I do at the supermarket. <laughs> or Austin Powers style, just back and forth, trying like a 300 point turn, trying to turn it around in that little bit of space they have inside the bat cave. A 10 inch space, yeah. <laughs> and the, we've previously established, and we didn't talk about it, but this, this uh, bat brella contains a, a listening device, a bug. So they're going so that the penguin can listen to, to Batman plot it. And I got down here. It's a good thing that's not turned on already, because the next thing is uh, <laughs> Batman says, uh, "I'm going to go down there and plant a bug in his in his umbrella store." And he and opens like, up a drawer full of bugs that are recording devices made to look like actual bugs. It's the most on the nose thing ever. There's like a ever. there's like a mini alligator in there. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you going to put that? That a little rubber alligator isn't going to be noticed. It's exactly. Funny. I'll put it on my on my lapel. It'll be fine. It'll be like it'll be like Homer Simpson's pig cufflinks. Nobody will notice these, <laughs> or, his, or his giant hat with the camera in it when he goes to survey the <laughs> goes undercover in the quickie mart. <laughs> giant cowboy. Batman's hat. like, well, we can't go in there by ourselves, Robin, since we already since we already barged our way in, accused a man who didn't do anything of a crime. The penguin will be on his guard, but he won't expect. Or even, in fact, know who Bruce Wayne is. I think he yeah. know who Bruce Wayne is. He's pretty well, much first the of all, famous guy in town. First of all, it's good that he doesn't already have that uh, that bug turned on because he says, "I will go as Bruce Wayne." Uh, so had he been listening, there goes your secret Wait. identity. You're gonna have to bring him back to the Batcave and uh, <laughs> toss him in the old atomic pile there with Molly. And Penguin's not as stupid as most Batman villains. So Penguin would have been like, "What? What did he just say? Did he just say he's Bruce Wayne?" Penguin would have put two and two together with that. Most of Batman's villains would have been like, why is he going to disguise himself as Bruce Wayne? What's a Bruce Wayne? Although Penguin doesn't recognize Bruce Wayne either, which is just, that's awful criminaling. Uh, not to recognize the richest guy in the entire city if you're going to be a criminal, I would think. Right? Who's just like a celebrity. Like it, Bruce Wayne in Gotham City is like 
it's like a Kardashian. Even if you don't know or care anything about him, you would still know who he is. He's walked into your weird umbrella store nobody shops at. That's true. So Bruce Wayne goes in there with, with his father's umbrella, hoping to distract him with it and let him look at it uh, while he plants the bug. Bruce Wayne capitalizes on his dead parents again. Classic Bruce. Uh, but as he goes to plant the bug, alarms go off and he jumps back and uh, because the penguin has an automat automatic anti-bugging machine, uh, giving all of Batman's gadgets a severe run for their money. Yeah, a ridiculous run for the money. Like Batman's almost outmatched by an old man. And then a, then this net falls on him from out of nowhere at the top of the, of the umbrella store. And it's not even like yep. an impressive net. Like it's just like a regular net. <laughs> and Bruce is completely defeated by it. Well, yeah, absolutely, because he doesn't have a utility belt with anti-net technology, so he's definitely... Or some sort of spray, yeah. <laughs> An anti-net spray. So he's captured, the thugs run in, what are we going to do with him? Now again, pointing out how the Penguin doesn't recognize Bruce Wayne, he must be a spy from another umbrella factory. This is corporate espionage, or yeah, industrial espionage. Yeah, I your Penguin is smarter than most of their Batman villains, but he's not. That's not correct. Well, he, he's not smart, but he's smarter than the other villains. You're probably yeah. right about that. So. Yeah. He's, he's able to tie his own shoes sometimes. So they decide they're going to throw Bruce Wayne, this uh, industrial spy, into the, uh, the forging oven. The giant forging oven, which I don't think umbrella companies have. I've never heard uh, of an umbrella being forged in a pit. Well, no, and not a 10,000 degree one. 10,000 degrees is much too hot for a forging oven. Right, uh, exactly. earlier in they, they have a rocket launcher that launches giant umbrellas on top of a building. Like, how did no one notice this, this building has a giant forging oven and a rocket launcher on top of it? Like, it's like well, the Fantastic Four's headquarters, but it's an umbrella company. Not to mention, so earlier when they were looking at the rib of the umbrella in the Batcave, uh, he says it's a chrome magnesium alloy. So I went to Google and Googled chrome magnesium alloy melting point, uh, which says between 685 to 1200 degrees Fahrenheit. So a 10,000 degree oven uh, is not going to be the correct place to forge uh, chrome magnesium alloy if you were to want to do such a thing. Yeah, they just they just came up with that as an excuse to burn people alive. Like I love how both the Riddler and Penguin, neither one of them committed a crime. But by the end of the first episode and end of this one, they're both about to do something far worse than just knocking over a jewelry store. Like, Riddler was going to commit surgery on a teenage boy, and then Penguin's going to throw a man into a furnace. <laughs> Things escalate super quickly with bat villains. On a giant conveyor belt. On a giant conveyor belt, yes. That's conveniently marked conveyor belt. <laughs> also, Batman's there's no like other... coal from his knockout spray. And he's totally going into that giant furnace. And it's not even that big. The furnace is like the size of a small fireplace, but it burns at 10,000 degrees. <laughs> so that so, is the wrap-up for this episode. This one ends with Bill Dozier, our narrator, saying, Oh, the irony of it! The horror! The flaming end of the Crepe Crusader? Can Bruce possibly escape? For Batman's sake, and then it says exclamation point for some reason, keep your bat fingers crossed until tomorrow. Same time, same channel. I love it. So it's How just is he going to possibly get out of that? 
I don't know how he could possibly get out of that. He's so now it's turned alive. It's not even that long of a conveyor belt. It's you know two three feet. It's not long at all. Bruce is gonna die. Probably. It's a mini series. Had a good run. Yeah. Now it's time for our favorite part of the episode, the what we missed by going through the Wikipedia for the episode and pointing out all the fun facts and super nerdy things that Wikipedia has discovered or pointed out about this episode that we may have missed. That someone took time out of their life to write down and research. And host a podcast about. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Idiots. Those fools. (laughs) Nerds. The notes for this episode. Burgess Meredith and Cesar Romero were the most frequent guest villains as the Penguin and the Joker, respectively. In fact, whenever, whenever Meredith was in town, the producers had a script waiting for him. He had actually given up smoking for years when he was cast in the role of the Penguin. And the squawk in his voice came from the way the cigarette affected his lungs and throat. So that noise that the penguin makes when he goes, that's cancer. Oh, man. Well, that's it, I'm glad they always had a script ready for him because he is a fantastic villain. They just had uh, him on just like, just, just like when Cesar Romero came to town, they always had uh, orange slices. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> in this episode, Burgess Meredith refers to Batman as the Batman a title that was used briefly in 1939 to 1940 and then revived in 1970. I don't know why you would ever, I don't know how you would notice that and know, know to trace that. Like, oh, they're, not, they're using the word the article V again here. Yep, yep. Better, better take to the internet and jot that down. Yeah. <laughs> That's just something I don't know how you would notice. Um, this is David Lewis's first appearance as Warden Crichton. Warden Crichton is coming back. I'm excited. I love Warden Crichton. He's the J. Jonah Jameson of the Batman universe. And, and progressive penology. <laughs> Mickey Rooney was considered... That would have been a good name. That would have been a good name for this podcast, too, if we would have thought of it. Penology. It's a progressive much penology. <laughs> much, much different audience. It would have got us a way different A lot audience. of overlap. <laughs> Mickey Rooney was considered for the role of the Penguin, which would have been amazing. And if you've never seen it, I can't recommend Evil Roy Slade with John Aston and Mickey Rooney enough where he basically plays a bat villain. But Burgess Meredith's Penguin's pretty excellent too. I don't know. I don't know it would have been better with Mickey Rooney. Although I love Mickey Rooney and his potato fantasy. <laughs> Didn't John Aston, wasn't he? He took he was a Riddler at some point. He was wasn't a Riddler. He? John Aston's in the yeah. show too. Yeah, he replaces Frank Gorshin at some point. He should have played Evil Roy Slade as a Bat villain, though. That would have been fantastic. There's a cowboy Batman villain in this show called Shame. Like, it's a play on the movie Shane. But it would have been much better if they had just had John Aston play Evil Roy Slade, yes. The episode is based on Partners in Plunder from Batman number 169 in February 1965, written by France Eddie Heron, which is apparently a person's name. The only difference between the comic book and this episode was that the Penguin steals the jeweled meteorite, and then it says in parentheses, which was mentioned in the comic, instead of kidnapping Don Robbins, and then it says in parentheses, who did not appear in the comic. Neither one of those things has come up or been mentioned in any way, shape, or form in this first episode, so good job, Wikipedia Notes guy. Uh, this is alluded to when the Penguin announces he and Batman will be partners in plunder. See, now I want to go look up that ep- that issue and read it because that reads like you just picked an, picked an issue with Penguin in it and were like, 
this is based on that. Yeah, just because, well, Partners in Plunder, again, is a fantastic, also would have been a good alternate title for the podcast. Yes, yes. Um, and then let's see, this is the first occasion in the television series on which Batman and Bruce Wayne work, quote, together to foil a criminal's plot. So Batman's half-assed plan to go in as himself will come up again. This theme would be very regularly used in future episodes. Regularly used. Good to know. Okay, so that's it for this episode of Surf Kings of Gotham. Today, this was episode, season one, episode three, Fine Feathered Finks. And we will be back at some point in the near future on the same same bat time, same bat streaming service. Thanks for everything, everyone. Make sure you follow us on Facebook at Surf Kings of Gotham. And we look forward to talking to you next time. Sir, King of Gotham.